Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. And hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. This is Mike Adams. Remember me? Filling in for Mike Pearson. And uh, glad to be with you again. Hope you're doing well. Lots going on in agriculture, and I appreciate the opportunity to sit in and visit with you for a while. We have a great lineup of guests today. We're going to talk with Jim Mulhern, president and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation. They just uh, had a big uh, dairy industry meeting in Colorado, and uh, looking forward to talking with Jim about that. And uh, push for a milk marketing order modernization plan. This has been talked about within the industry for some time. We'll get the latest on that and other dairy industry issues. And we'll be talking with the president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper. Lots going on with renewable fuels. There always is. We'll talk about uh, the recent export exchange event that was held. That's always a big meeting and a chance to uh, make some very valuable business contacts uh, we'll get the latest uh, report from that, how, what came out of that meeting, and also what's going on within the renewable fuels industry, and there is quite a bit of news to talk about there. And then we're going to talk markets and harvest with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Uh, Matt lives in East Central Illinois. He tells me they're done with harvest there, and uh, we'll get a harvest report as well as talk markets. Uh, a lot of volatility still in the markets, and as harvest is winding down now, some questions about where do we go from here. We'll take a look at the, the market factors coming up. So all that coming up on today's program, but we're going to start it off talking about the cattle market. We are very happy to have with us Dr. Daryl Peel uh, from Oklahoma State, uh, professor of agribusiness. Dr. Peel, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Mike. Happy to be here with you. Hey, we got lots to talk about. Uh, there have been a lot of questions about where are we with the cattle herd. Uh, the numbers are out. We're starting to see a, a decline in cattle numbers, as we kind of expected we would. Where are we right now, do you think? Well, you know, in the big picture sense, of course, we've been in, in some level of liquidation for several years. Cattle numbers actually peaked uh, most recently in 2019. But, you know, because we've had lots of disruptions and, and most recently in the last two years, lots of drought has forced us to market cattle. So, you know, we've sort of masked what's going on out in the country, I think, with, uh, you know, the feedlot situation has stayed uh, very full until this last cattle on feed report. We, we finally saw a year-over-year -year decrease in cattle uh, inventories in the feedlot. There's going to be a lot more of that coming because the fact of the matter is we've, we've, uh, we, we've pulled cattle ahead. We've uh, borrowed against the future, if you will. Uh, because of the drought, we've been forced to move cattle out of the country. And so so the bottom line is that numbers are a lot tighter, I think, than maybe they really appear at this point in time. But it's going to become very apparent in the coming weeks and months. Yeah, we knew this was coming, that forced liquidation, as you mentioned, because of the drought. It just took a while for these numbers to kind of catch up with what we we felt was going on out uh, on the land. Uh, so now let's – where are we now? Let's look at the margins. What do you see for – uh, the margins going ahead for cow-calf and for feedlots? Well, you know, obviously prices are higher now than they were this time last year, so we've got that kind of uptrend in place that's, that's really beginning to reflect the, that underlying tighter supply side. And, of course, on the demand side, things have been good, uh, but uh, it's really the supply situation that's going to drive this thing. So cow-calf producers are going to enjoy better margins. Um, now, of course, going forward here, uh, you know, we're still in the drought. We're still liquidating right now. We don't know when that's going to end. Uh, but the bottom line is, at some point in time, we're going to find that we're smaller than we really need to be than, than the market wants us to be. And so there's going to be, a, a, you know, a significant push to rebuild this industry, and that will be translated into higher uh, calf prices. Uh, some of the margin operations will get squeezed a little bit in the meantime. Feedlots are going to have some challenges with less cattle available, higher prices for feeder cattle, and, of course, we've got high cost of gain that's going to continue for a while. So it's going to depend on where you are, but the bottom line is we're going to see a lot of, uh, of supply-driven uh, price supports here in this market in the next, uh, really, couple, three years. And Dr. Peel, you touched on a, a, the key unknown here. I mean, it is still dry now in a lot of these areas, and we know it takes a while to come out of a drought. So that's going to be a big question mark hanging over this moving forward. 
It really will. You know, uh, I mean, I, I, I believe that the cow herd, the beef cow herd specifically, will be, uh, you know, as we come into the 2023 and get our January 1 numbers, I think we're going to find that we're about at the same level we were in 2014, which was after the last drought, uh, and we were smaller than we needed to be then. Uh, you know, again, looking at the numbers, uh, the last two years, um, so so far in 2022, heifer slaughter is up 5% year over year. It was up 4% for the whole year last year. Beef cow slaughter is up 13% so far this year. It was up 9% last year. So when you combine that, uh, you know, again, it's been heifer slaughter that's been propping up slaughter and beef production. So far this year, female slaughter, heifer plus cow slaughter, represents 51% of total cattle slaughter. And that hasn't happened in a long time in the beef industry. Uh, so that's what we're in right now. But what it means going forward is that we're going to have really tight supplies for, uh, you know, for these, uh, for the female side. We're going to have to rebuild this industry and it's going to take some time to do that. Yeah, producers had a had some tough decisions to make this year, and it looks like they're going to have some tough ones to make uh, in the coming year. Uh, Dr. Peel, I wanted to mention quickly, uh, you co-wrote a paper. I was looking through this, very interesting on beef trade and looking at the importance of uh, our beef exports. And there's always a lot of question about uh, should we be allowing beef imports to this country? Uh, but trade is a give and take. Yeah, and sometimes we forget that. We look at only at our side of it, what we want to sell. But there's a, the other side of that, too, and what countries expect us to take it take from them as well. Uh, just briefly, if you could give us kind of the highlights of this paper and showing the importance of beef trade. You bet. You know, it's interesting because obviously in the, in the world of give and take, as you say, in trade, we can't really expect to be exporters if we're not willing to, uh, to be importers of, of, you know, in general across the board. And so that's part of it. But the other part in the beef industry, of course, is that beef is not one thing. Beef is hundreds of different products. And the fact of the matter is that when you look at the value of exports, uh, we generate value to the industry when we export products to higher valued markets for you know, various products and so on. But we also actually increase value in the U.S. beef industry by the imports that we take in because most of those imports are actually uh, processing beef, the kind of thing that we use to turn the fatty trimmings from our fed cattle into ground beef and support our tremendous ground beef market in the U.S., and that actually makes our fed cattle worth more when we're able to utilize uh, those trimmings uh, that way. If we did not have the imports, we would not actually have the size of hamburger market that we have, and we would lose value in the industry. So we actually win both ways from exports and imports uh, in the U.S. industry. Yeah, I think people sometimes overlook that, that domino effect. Uh, one segment of that, as you said, you get many products, and then the sale of those, that, that affects the next piece of business it is a chain reaction isn't it? it it really is these products are are linked and you know you can grind almost anything down into hamburger but uh if it's got higher value in other places you don't want to do that if you can help it so when we export those products for higher value we import uh the lean we need and to make our uh, our products worth more in the u.s uh and we get it from the most uh, efficient source so uh it, it helps us both ways Dr. Peel, always good to talk with you. Thank you for being with us. You bet. Anytime. Take care. Dr. Darrell Peel, uh, professor of agribusiness at Oklahoma State. Up next, we talk dairy with Jim Mulhern, president and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation, right here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com. 
Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. We, we, we are, are the, the Foundation, Foundation Fighting, fighting Blindness. Blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. And welcome back. Mike Adams sitting in for Mike Pearson. Appreciate the opportunity to visit with you today. Want to thank again uh, Dr. Daryl Peel from uh, Oklahoma State University joining us in the last segment. Very interesting discussion on the, the cattle market, where we're at, where we're going. And again, he has that, he co wrote an interesting paper on, on beef trade and would encourage you to go to uh, extension.okstate.edu slash articles. Check that out. Very interesting as he looks at uh, the importance of beef imports as well as their impact on beef exports. So thanks again to Dr. Daryl Peel for joining us. Happy now to be talking with good friend Jim Mulherm, president and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation. Jim, I saw you just had your big uh, dairy industry meeting. I believe you were in Colorado and brought back a lot of uh, fond memories for me attending your meeting uh, for many years and uh, always a great uh, uh, time to talk with producers from around the country and get an update on the many things that you have going on uh, on behalf of dairy producers across the country. It looked like you had another great meeting. We did, Mike, and it's great to be with you this morning. Great meeting in uh, just outside of Denver, Colorado this year. About 750 producers, um, co-op and industry, dairy industry folks from across the country gathered for discussion of, you know, the major issues of the day. And as, as you know, there's always plenty of issues in dairy. So we had... Uh, had a, a great meeting, um, great discussions, and a real sense of, of optimism uh, as we move into the into the future. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because over the years, in good times and tough times, uh, that was always a meeting where I really could get the pulse of of the dairy industry of how producers were feeling. And we saw some years where things were really really tough, and then years where things have uh, looked better. But uh, that meeting, when you bring those producers together, you can you can uh, get a sense of the uh, the mood, the attitude. So you felt optimism among producers. 
It's a, it, the meeting has a very good barometer, a very good pulse of the, of the industry, the state of the industry, Mike, as you just said, and talking to producers, you get that sense. Uh, this has been a, you know, it's an interesting year. Um, we've had uh, record milk prices this year in terms of, uh, of um, you know, the all milk price across the country. As I said in my remarks to the, uh, uh, at the meeting, it's always nice when you look at a year and, and the first number on the 100 weight of the milk price is a two. Uh, we've been in, a, in a, above $20 a hundred weight uh, in almost the entire country um, all year, and that's that's positive. The negative, of course, is that it, uh, feed costs and uh, and all production costs are high as well. Um, having said that, still um, with milk prices where they are, the margin has been pretty good all year long. It's you know dipped a little bit here this fall, uh, but overall, 2022 has been a very good year. And as we heard from the economists, you know, it's a little bit uncertain for next year, uh, but uh, we're feeling pretty good about the state of the industry today. We're talking with Jim Mulhern, president and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation. Jim, you're always looking forward as well. And uh, I know there's been a lot of discussion within the industry over the years about some changes that uh, you would like to see made or a modernization plan, if you will, uh, for the milk marketing order. Uh, How are... Where are you on that, and what is the plan moving forward? How, what do you want to see as far as changes, modernization that, that need to be made? And that was a major topic of discussion, Mike, as you referenced. The Federal Milk Marketing Order System is one that uh, kind of provides the regulatory framework on the economic side for our industry. And um, I said at our annual meeting a year ago that we wanted to um, get into the, the federal order issues uh, the program has not been has not undergone any serious uh, updates uh, since 2000. So we're now, you know, 22 years on since the last major um, look at the federal order program, and we wanted to um, take our time to look at, at modernizing the program. We spent the past year uh, going through the the program in minute detail with experts at our cooperatives. Uh, marketing, economic experts looking at the you know the function of the program, and had over a hundred meetings with uh, our technicians, with our board members, uh, economic policy committee, outreach to uh, state dairy associations, uh, worked with the American Farm Bureau Federation. We're at, we had three speakers on their program. I guess a week ago that was um, in Kansas City. And over the course of this year, I said a year ago that I hope to bring back recommendations to our board of directors at this meeting, and we did that. Uh, we brought forth a proposal to modernize the program, and that, that plan was adopted unanimously by our board of directors on Monday. And we will, um, you know, we've got some more discussions, some more work to do on this, uh, but our plan is to move forward with a proposal that we can take to the U.S. Department of Agriculture um, early next year. It is always challenging to get a consensus within the industry on, on major changes or moves like this. Well, it is, and that's why we took the time to do it right. Um, as I said, over 100 meetings uh, internally with our co-ops, uh, webinars to explain the, you know, the details of these issues, because the federal orders are a very technical, detailed program. They help to you know, get milk moved around the country, moved into the right plants, you know, the pricing, provide transparency, uh, weights and measures, you know, the testing. Um, so it's a very important program for the producer community, and we, that's why we wanted to get it right. Um, in terms of the, the consensus, it's been very, very strong, a strong degree of support for modernizing the program providing these updates, you know, to address some of the significant changes that have occurred in our industry over these last 20 plus years. And that's what we hope to do with our plan going forward. Okay. Take us through the steps moving forward now. Where do you go from here and what, what's your plan? So the plan now is to um, have you know, a few more discussions uh, with uh, other stakeholders in the industry to, you know, make sure that we have that, that uh, strong consensus across the industry that you referenced, Mike, in your comments. Um, we have a little bit more work to do on uh, looking at the, the class one price surface. Class one, of course, is the, the, the fluid milk, the milk that goes into the, into the bottle, into the jug in the grocery store. And um, that is the, the class one market, you know, is priced differently around the country. Um, and we've got to take a, a close look at that to get those prices right. They're out of alignment in some areas. 
And that work will be ongoing. We hope to finish that by the end of the year. And then it would be early first quarter next year. Uh, we'll take a proposal to USDA, um, ask the department to hold a national federal order hearing in which we can look at these issues in great detail, um, have others come in and testify as well. USDA would then take that, that hearing record, if you will, and they'll make their determination on what proposals to adopt and, and move forward. Once they do that, all of that is subject to a producer referendum, which would take place, I would hope, you know, about, you know, perhaps this time next year, uh, we could have a producer referendum on a recommended decision from USDA to modernize the program. All right, so there are several steps yet to go, but the process underway. We're talking with Jim Mulhern, President and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation. Jim wanted to talk to you about, I know it's an ongoing battle. Uh, you have all these different products out there coming on using the name dairy, and that's that brings into question again your ongoing challenge with FDA and others to, to get accuracy and labeling and things like that because you got all these products wanting to use uh, the name dairy because they see a benefit in it obviously uh right but then on the other hand you've got i i see these reports and stories out there questioning the 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 benefits or questioning how healthy cow's milk really is i mean it, it seems like you're you're getting hit from both sides on this well we live in an age of misinformation as you well know mike and, and your listeners do as well um, and uh, nothing could be further from the truth in terms of the, the health nutritional benefits of dairy. In fact, that's one of the, you know, the most important attributes uh, of milk and dairy products, um, and I think consumers are showing that clearly in their, in their purchasing. As you know, um, per capita consumption of dairy products are at their highest level since 1959, and we've been a, you know, a steady increase. People are moving to dairy, uh, because of the, the taste, mm-hmm. uh, the nutritional quality, the affordability, the availability, those are key attributes that, that you know, dairy hits on all of those. So um, the, the nonsense about dairies, uh, any, any suggestions of, of health issues with dairy are really, you know, for the most part, coming from people with an, with an agenda. Um, and uh, looking at the science, there's, there's no food in the diet that provides greater level of nutrition especially um, for and on a, on a cost um, cost basis. Um, so no, no issues, no questions there. Yeah, they want to trade off of uh, the good name that uh, dairy has established over the years, but at the same time criticize or try to say that they're somehow better than you. Uh, I, you know, they're, they're wanting it both ways. And it, well, that, as that's you said, exactly right. I I think consumers are are seeing through that, as you said, uh, strong sales. That's good to hear. Jim, always good to talk with you. Good to catch up again. Take care. Thanks, Mike. Great to be with you. All right. Jim Mulhern, President and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation. Hey, stay with us. We're going to talk renewable fuels next, especially ethanol. Lots going on there. And a report on the recent export exchange meeting that was held. Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, joins us next. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we look at the market trade on Friday, it's a bit of a risk-off trading day here in commodities, although it's also just kind of a quiet day once again with little fresh news to 
really move these markets. We were uh, lower in the overnight session in commodities and equities as we were awaiting the latest inflation data out on Friday morning. We see that uh, personal income data also came out as well. Personal income rose 0.4% month on month in September, uh, just slightly above analyst expectations. The PCE price index rose 0.3% month on month in September, which matched analyst expectations. And the employment cost index rose 1.2% quarter over quarter in the third quarter of this year. And that matched analyst expectations, although down slightly from the 1.3% posted in the second quarter. It appears that some of that uh, inflation and personal income data weighing on the markets here a little bit. VIX trading near 27, the dollar near 111 this morning. Crude oil down roughly 1%, a little less than 1% now. While the stock market is doing okay with the Dow up around 400 points here uh, through mid-morning and NASDAQ and S&P futures higher as well. Now, livestock trade, we see mixed activity there. Lean hogs looking to maybe find a little buying strength here after consolidating the last couple of sessions. Some good numbers starting there. Well, cattle futures are mixed. Feeders are doing okay. While the live cattle market is just kind of mixed around unchanged. We see corn and beans. They're trading their way down a few cents here through the trade. While we see wheat under a little bit more pressure as we work through the session. Now, we still have a lot of conflicting things in these markets that we're watching. But overall, looking like a fairly quiet, slightly risk-off day to head to the weekend. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. All right, Mike Adams sitting in for Mike Pearson today. Mike will be back with you on Monday here on AOA. Well, we've talked with Dr. Daryl Peel from Oklahoma State. We've talked about um, cattle markets. We've talked with Jim Mulhern with the National Milk Producers Federation about dairy. Let's talk now renewable fuels, especially ethanol, with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, good to talk with you again. How are you? I'm doing great, Mike. How are you? It's good to hear your voice. Good to be back with you. Yeah. So um, some things... Um, I've been keeping track of what's going on. I follow you and what you're doing there with the Renewable Fuels Association and saw that just recently you held the export exchange meeting. I remember when uh, you started those and uh, attending those yeah. over the years, always great meetings and see uh, customers getting together, you know, buyers and sellers getting together, deals being worked on in the hallways. Uh and export such a key, even in your industry, the, the ethanol industry. Uh, how was your meeting? What came out of that, you think? Well, it was a great event, Mike, and it brought together uh, roughly 300 customers or, or potential customers from around the world with about 200 representatives from the U.S. ethanol industry. And, and so there were uh, uh, buyers or potential buyers from more than 30 countries uh, gathered together with us uh, in Minneapolis and, you know, I think people often forget, Mike, and you and I have talked a lot about this over the years, that the ethanol industry is a major source of animal feed. Uh, we, you know, last year we produced close to 40 million tons of, of distiller's grains uh, animal feed. Almost 40% of that was exported. So our industry is very dependent on exports for those co-products. Uh, last year, those exports were valued at about $3 billion. So 
this is the event every two years uh, that really brings together buyers and sellers of that product. Uh, it's the first time we've been able to do this meeting in, in four years uh, because of COVID and just the impact that that's had on, on global travel. Uh, so it was a great event, uh, good to get everybody back together and catch up on what's happening in, in the uh, distillers, grains, and, and other co-product markets. Yeah, all those products, we overlook them sometimes. Uh, we know how that market has grown domestically, uh, distillers, grains, yeah. but good to hear that it's growing uh, in the export channels as well. Big challenge has been for you to move ethanol in, into these foreign markets. Different things have popped up politically and um and, uh, and otherwise, yeah. as you mentioned, COVID didn't help at all either. Where are we as far as growing our ethanol exports? Yeah, we're, we're seeing a rebound in ethanol exports as well. And, and in fact, we're on pace uh, for 2022 to be a record year or, or at the very least the second best year ever for ethanol exports. Uh, and, and Mike, a lot of that's being driven by what's happening in, in global fuel markets, right? I mean, things are, are really tight and, and very volatile right now. Uh, and so we've seen a lot of new interest from new markets and new countries that are really trying U.S. ethanol for the first time. Uh, and they're finding that the fuel works very well for them and it's, it's, it's very affordable for them. So we are seeing a, a strong rebound in ethanol exports. We do still face a number of barriers, as you mentioned, um, you know, we still have tariffs and, and other restrictions uh, and, and other walls up in certain markets that, that used to be open to us, China being the biggest of those. Uh, but, you know, we've, we, our industry has figured out how to <laughs> uh, continue growth in the export market, even in light of some of those barriers. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, uh, one of the things I think everyone's looking at, uh, the transportation issues and challenges in this country yeah. that we're still dealing with. And, uh, you know, we've got low water levels on the Mississippi River, and that's uh, that's causing problems and move in barge traffic. Uh, that's a problem. Uh, we also have a possibility still, the possibility of a rail strike. And I was talking with someone in the ethanol industry not too long ago at uh, uh, runs an ethanol plant, and they were very concerned about the availability of, of rail cars and being able to move product. Uh, how serious is this, and what are you, what's the latest you're hearing on the possibility of a strike? Well, it's very serious, and, uh, you know, our industry is incredibly reliant on efficient and available rail service uh, to get our product to market. About 75% of the ethanol we produce moves by rail. Um, so, you know, without a, without a, a, if the rail system isn't working, the ethanol industry isn't working. It's that simple. Um, we are following very closely the discussions uh, that are happening. Uh, you know, we are worried that there's the potential for a, a strike, uh, but we're also, I think, mindful of the fact that, that these remaining unions that are kind of holding out on ratifying that agreement are probably trying to extract every last little bit of leverage they can out of the midterm elections. And, and we're hopeful that once we get these elections behind us, uh, you know, these unions will uh, ultimately ratify that agreement. They might get a few more little concessions out of, out of it. Um, but we need to get, you know, we need to make sure everybody continues to go to work uh, on the rail system, or we're going to have a huge problem, not just in the ethanol industry, but across the entire economy. Politicians love to make announcements when they're when they're passing out money, uh, but there's usually a pretty big gap the time between that announcement being made and when money actually gets to where it's, uh, it's supposed to get to for projects on the ground. Uh, when we look at the, some of the recent spending bills that have been passed, uh, some of that includes money for biofuels production and infrastructure. Yep. But that money's not there yet, right? I mean, where are we on that? Well, yeah, there's there was five hundred million dollars included for uh, biofuels infrastructure, and and you know we're talking about things like dispensers and underground tanks that can uh, that can uh, dispense higher volumes, higher levels of ethanol and gasoline. Uh, five hundred uh, million dollars in the Inflation Reduction Act that that was signed into law in August. Uh, yeah, we haven't seen that money yet, and we think it'll be a long time before it, it comes out the door. Uh, but what is available right now, as we speak, is there's $100 million in grant funding that is available from USDA right now. Uh, that window closes in a few weeks to apply for that funding. 
Um, and so we're working with retailers across the country to make sure they're getting their applications in for that funding, which is available uh, right now. So I want to vent a little bit. You and I have had these discussions over the years, but uh, I, I, I find it frustrating this, uh, this push so hard towards electric vehicles that we, we seem to overlook the need for the energy sources we have now. And we've seen the bind it's putting us in as far as uh, we've given up energy independence and gone back to being dependent on others, uh, other countries and uh, asking them for help and things like that. And, yeah, overlooking what we have available to us now, which includes biofuels. I mean, it's just it's just so frustrating to see. It looks like a self-inflicted wound that we have in this country right now over energy, uh, because ignoring what we have in in a pursuit of something we may have in the future. And I know that this is frustrating for you and an ongoing challenge for the uh, renewable fuels industry. It really is, and I mean that's that's the reason I got into this business almost 20 years ago is is because I am passionate about uh, increasing our domestic energy security, and I certainly view uh, biofuels and ethanol in particular as as one way to do that, one important way to do that. Um, but we've got to have a cooperative, uh, you know, uh, government in place, and we have to have uh, leaders that understand uh, what they've got in terms of the resource here in the U.S. to help improve our energy security and help move us closer to energy independence. Um, I mean, we, it's, it's incredibly frustrating uh, to see how OPEC can still, uh, you know, manipulate our markets, even though we are producing more crude oil here in the U.S. than, than, than ever before and, and more renewable fuel. Um, but I will tell you one thing, Mike. I mean, uh, you know, a wholesale transition to electric vehicles like some people are talking about is certainly not going to help our energy security. Uh, we would be incredibly reliant on other countries to supply the minerals that go in the batteries. Today, uh, you know, more than 80% of the batteries that are going into electric vehicles here in the U.S. are coming from offshore. Um, now, there's, you know, uh, actions underway to increase manufacturing here in the U.S., but the bottom line is we don't have a lot of those minerals that are necessary to make those batteries here in, in the U.S. or in North America, and we're going to be relying on countries like China and Russia uh, to supply those those minerals, and I, we just don't see that as, as a uh, sustainable strategy moving forward. Those are just facts that are overlooked or not shared when people are yeah. out uh pushing and promoting the uh, the electric vehicles, they, they, they just overlook that or, or I think intentionally overlook it and, and don't share it with people and it needs to be, it needs to be brought out more. Uh, E15, we've seen sales go up this year, right? And people, uh, motors made the choice at the pump when it was available to them, they chose E15. Yeah, we did. We saw a, a real surge in E15 sales this summer, even though overall gasoline sales were fairly flat through the summer because of the high prices and and that was discouraging people from uh, driving more but but we did see a, a you know significant growth in E15 sales uh, we think about 20% increase over the summer compared to you know the months right before the summer uh, that was facilitated because the Biden administration issued a series of emergency waivers that allowed retailers to continue selling E15 this summer uh, partially as a, you know, as a, as a remedy to some of the high prices that we were seeing at the pump. Um, so, you know, the bottom line is it worked. Uh, the, the emergency waivers that the administration issued certainly served their purpose, um, allowed retailers to sell E15 throughout the summer, allowed drivers to purchase that fuel for typically, you know, 30 or 40 cents a gallon cheaper than E10. Um, and now we got to find a permanent solution so we can continue to do that year-round next year and well beyond yep we need more not less availability of uh, renewable fuels so hopefully we'll get that good to talk with you again take care jeff all right thank you mike jeff cooper president ceo of the renewable fuels association we talk markets next with matt bennett right here on aoa agriculture of america is brought to you by cenex premium diesel Diesel that doesn't mess around. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart 
could keep beating, your kidneys could keep filtering, and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to The Monthly Grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on The Monthly Grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at adspipe.com. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com. And we're live here outside the Perez family home just waiting for the... And there they go! Almost on time this morning! Mom is coming out the front door strong with a double-arm kid carry. Looks like Dad has the bags. Daughter is bringing up the rear. Oh, but the diaper bag wasn't closed. Diapers and toys are everywhere. Ooh, but Mom has just nailed the perfect car seat buckle for the toddler. And now the eldest daughter, who looks to be about 9 or 10, has secured herself in the booster seat. Dad zips the bag closed, and they're off. Ah, but looks like Mom doesn't realize her coffee cup is still on the roof of the car. And there it goes. Oh, that's a shame. That mug was a fam favorite. Don't sweat the small stuff. Just nail the big stuff. Like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Learn more at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. 
keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. And welcome back to AOA. Mike Adams sitting in for Mike Pearson. Mike will be back with you on Monday. Uh, one, see, it's good to be back talking with you again about ag issues. One of the things I've been doing this uh, harvest season, I, I've had a chance to uh, get a different perspective on harvest. I've been helping out at a local country elevator and helping weigh grain trucks. And that I've really enjoyed that. In fact, I'll be doing that uh, again later today as we wrap up harvest where I'm at in West Central Illinois. Our next guest is across the state of Illinois, East Central Illinois, Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Good to talk with you again, Matt. Uh, you tell me you're done with harvest. Yeah, pretty fortunate. You know, we uh, were able to get along really well this fall. You know, it was one of those deals where it was a little slower going than sometimes, uh, mostly because we had pretty pretty good sized crop. Uh, just to be uh, honest about it, we pretty good yields. Uh, you know, I'd say lines weren't too bad uh, overall. It's just uh, moving all that grain certainly takes a little bit more time than uh, you know uh, uh, typical harvest. But it was a good fall for sure. I have a greater appreciation for scale operators now that I've that I've been one this fall. <laughs> so it, you know you kind of you realize you're part of the link in this chain. Everybody working together to make harvest run smoothly. Oh, absolutely. You know it takes quite a bit to make it run smoothly, and so uh, you know especially uh, whenever it's uh, again a pretty good, pretty good sized harvest. And I think in Illinois, as evidenced, you know by that. 210 or uh, 210 yield that USDA gave us for the state of Illinois. Obviously, uh, a lot of the state was clicking on uh, uh, several cylinders, and so you know I think that uh, to run an operation, whenever it's an elevator system and a lot of folks bringing in uh, really big crops, it certainly takes a lot of uh, a lot to be able to make that run smoothly. And of course, that gets us to marketing that crop. And uh, wow, a lot of questions. Where are we going? This, this market's been volatile. We try to figure things out, scratch our heads some days. Of why is it moving the way it's moving? Uh, what's your assessment of where we're at now as we are in the final stages of this harvest? You know, the interesting thing, Mike, if you go back to, for instance, uh, the 1st of September, you know, the trading range on the 1st of September uh, was 654 to 672. Uh, that's, that's, you know, obviously we've gone a couple of months. Today, we're that's these corn. Today, we're looking at 676. I mean, we haven't gotten too far from uh, from this trading range. I mean, actually, we've been in, a, you know, about a 30-cent trading range for, for a solid two months of harvest. And a lot of times you get into harvest, and especially whenever you get going good, uh, you'll, you'll end up kind of searching for a harvest low. And then at some point, whenever you get out past the midway point of harvest, you'll start climbing up out of that. We just really haven't seen that type of action here this year. We've seen a lot of sideways trading, you know, and so uh, today, of course, we've got a little pressure on the market going into the weekend. But uh, overall, you know, this week has just been a pretty darn quiet week. We really haven't had a whole lot of movement one way or the other. You know, on Monday, uh, we sell at 681. Today, we're looking at 677. So, you know, we just haven't really gone anywhere as far as corn's concerned. Basis has been moving more than the futures market has. We've seen a firming up especially in areas that are, uh, you know, two-thirds, three-quarters done, starting to go out there and probe for some of them uh, them later season bushels and try to get them secured. But uh, by all means, basis has moved more than what futures market has. Which is interesting. We, we've talked about that before, Matt. Always keep an eye on that basis. Absolutely. You know, I mean, the thing is, as we were finishing up, the place that we were delivering to, uh, <clears throat> we're not all that far from Decatur in, in my part of the world. And so, you know, obviously a lot of bristles flow through uh, the Decatur part of the world. And so um, they actually improved their basis 15 cents last week. Uh, you know, and we had about three days of harvest left to go, and we started running out of contracts. And so I talked to, you know, the guy that I deal with uh, at the facility we were going to, and I said, hey, Decatur improved 15 cents today. Will we be able to get you to improve, uh, you know, at least that much? And uh, long story short, they ended up improving their bid 20 cents uh, to try to uh, go ahead and latch on to those last bushels. You know, again, uh, it's one of those deals where I think that even though you've got a big harvest in this part of the world, there's a fair amount of grain that's already contracted to leave this part of the world. And so uh, where's it going? Well, it's heading west, you know, and so – uh, you got to see the basis has got a lot of work to do in the Western Corn Belt to lure the bushels uh, to come out of other parts of the Corn Belt where you've got plentiful supply. So a lot of Illinois bushels are going to find a home west 
uh, this year, and I think that it's going to be a very interesting migration uh, to kind of see that happen. And it's going to take money, and that's what that's where basis comes in. As you look at the harvest results across the Midwest, uh, how are how are they shaping up compared to what the projections were going into harvest? It's interesting in that I think there's a lot of folks that have been very pleasantly surprised with yields. A lot of folks, on the other hand, uh, where they didn't get the rain, um, you know, they knew it wasn't going to be very good, and, and, and those uh, uh, expectations, I guess, were fulfilled. And so, you know, I do think that um, I've heard from enough producers that feel like, uh, you know, the, the later season rains helped them more than what they thought. You know, that uh, typically a small crop gets smaller. I'm not sure that's going to be the case this year. I'm not saying that we're going to make a huge jump in yield, but I'm starting to get the opinion, you know, and uh, I've got to fill out with, along with my, uh, you know, with uh, my, the guys that work with me at Ag Market, we got to fill out our Reuters estimate, you know, and I guess my uh, personal opinion uh, is that maybe we're going to actually have a little bit of an uptick in yield as far as corn is concerned. Now, soybeans, I think it's a little different story. It sure seems to me like this bean crop, um, you know, a lot of folks were disappointed in bean, bean yields. I think there's certain parts of the world that beans were still awful good, but even where we're at, uh, we felt like our beans were really good, uh, but maybe given the weather, we thought they'd be even better than what they were. I hate to say that. It's just a little bit yeah. surprised, but regardless, we had, a big, we had a good bean crop too. I've heard that too. Good bean crop, but th there were expectations it might be even better than it's turned out. So uh, yeah, I've heard that as well. Uh, so we're already watching South America, right? As, as they get ready for the next crop. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the thing is, is that let's, let's just talk about soybeans. So a soybean producer sitting here looking at, uh, you know, November beans, they've been flirting with $14 a lot here lately. As we speak today, we're, we're down to 13 72 but it's still an awful good price. Uh, you got to remember, this uh, South American bean crop could be enormous. And so just keep that in the back of your head whenever you're making some last-minute uh, fall marketing decisions here. Good to talk with you again, Matt. Thanks a lot. Absolutely, bud. Have a good one. You too. Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. That does it for today. Thanks to Mike Pearson for letting me sit in today. He'll be back on Monday. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com.